I'm on my way to active reserve duty in the IDF together with hundreds of thousands of Israeli civilians that were called to wear uniforms. Hamas was launching missiles throughout the night towards Israeli civilians in the cities surrounding the Gaza Strip, and the IDF retaliated by targeting Hamas installations inside the Palestinian enclave. Israel was able to release dozens of hostages that were held captive inside Israeli territory, but according to reports, we still have more than a hundred hostages inside Gaza itself. Netanyahu called on the country to get ready for a long and hard war that will take a heavy price from us, but that we will win and that this will never happen again. I call on all of you to join Israel in prayer for security, for safety, for healing of the wounded, and for wisdom to our leaders. We are in our series, Prophets, and I was planning a specific message this weekend, and then everything in the last eight days began to shift where I feel like God wants to take the messages, specifically this morning, but who knows where God wants us to be focusing on over the next several weeks with war breaking out in Israel. I want to speak specifically on this from the perspective of God's word. We need God's word more than we need CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, any channel out there. We need God's word. So I want to title this message, God's prophetic word for Israel. And God's prophetic word for Israel involves God's prophetic word for you and me. Because his word is not just for the nation of Israel, it is for the people of God. And I'm looking at a room today full of the people of God. If you're here today and you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior and you're interested in why we believe what we believe, you're in the right place. You're going to find out the origin of our story today. Because it all began in Israel. God has a big heart for this nation. And... The Messiah that we have put our faith in who has saved us from our sins was a Jewish carpenter. And so today we're going to talk about why this matters to us here in America, why it matters to us here in Tulsa, wherever you're watching online. And my son last night, he said he was watching the sermon. He said, Daddy, it wasn't as funny as it normally is. I said, well, not every sermon is meant to be funny. There's times in the world where we need to pause and have a, so have a sober spirit for what's going on in the world today. And so I'm going to preach a little different than normal. If it's your first time to victory, I'm going to preach from a place of really a prophetic perspective in scripture of where we're at right now and what's going on and why it matters to us. What is our response? There's several scriptures that talk about what we're seeing happen right now. We could start with Psalm 83, which is actually written by a prophet named Asaph, even though a lot of people believe all the Psalms were written by David. There's several chapters in the book of Psalms written by different authors. Asaph talks about all the nations beginning to gather with a hatred towards Israel, wanting to obliterate the nation. And I thought about starting there in this service, but then I began to really sense in my heart that God wants us to look at a different spot in scripture that I believe is prophetic. And it's Esther chapter three. Esther chapter three, verse two. If you got a Bible, you could shout when you get there. We get excited about the word of God. Esther three, verse two. There was a man who was living in a time where Queen Esther had just been elevated. She had married into the Persian empire. She married the king of Persia. And there was a man who served the king. His name was Haman. 
Haman was someone who was deeply insecure and threatened by anyone who did not pay him the honor he thought he was due. And Haman was a man also full of not just pride, but hatred towards a specific group of people. All the royal officials at the king's gate would kneel down and pay honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai, a Jewish man, would not kneel down or pay him honor. By the way, we need to know when to bow and when not to bow. The royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Why don't you bow to Haman? Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to bow. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether he would tolerate Mordecai's behavior. For he had told them he is a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only one Jew. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the cast was in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month. And the lot fell on the 12th month in the month of Adar. Then Haman said to the king, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate from us. Their customs are different from those of all the other people. They do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to allow them to live. Then Haman said to the king, in verse 9, there, uh, go to verse 9. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy the Jews. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. The king signed his finger and gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said. Do with the people as you please. The king, not knowing that his very wife, the queen, was a Jewish woman, Esther. She blended in with the Persian people. She was beautiful. She did all the right makeup. But deep down inside, her bloodline, her DNA was among the Jewish people, the niece of Mordecai who would not bow. On the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out the script of each province and the language of all each people that Haman ordered to go and kill the Jews. And in verse 13, he sent out this edict. Dispatches were sent by couriers uh, to all the king's palace provinces with the order to destroy kill and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. What we're seeing today has happened before. What we're seeing today was written in prophetic books long ago and was played out before our very eyes. Stay on verse 13 just for a second. I want to read the rest of that. On one single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, they would kill all the Jews and plunder the goods. Now Mordecai caught wind of this plan to kill the Jews. And so he sent a note to Queen Esther, his niece, the one that he had taken care of before she married the king. And he said this in Esther 4, verse 13, the next chapter. He said, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. By the way, God will make sure he protects the Jewish people. 
but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I do believe we are living in prophetic times. Just a month ago, I was in Israel walking the streets where missiles have been fired in the last eight days. I walked past Jaffa. I went and ministered and talked with different people along the coast of Tel Aviv. My mother and I and our team from Victory were there ministering and and also taking a tour of the Holy Land around Jerusalem. Our tour guide, a very sweet man, a, a graduate of Hebrew University, a Jewish man, was sharing with me all the knowledge that I could obtain about the conflict in Israel. I had a thousand questions. I said, I'm trying to understand why there is so much hostility between Palestinians and Israelites. And he said, well, this goes way back, Paul. He says, this goes way back when God gave the land to Abraham. And then Abraham gave it to Isaac. And then Isaac to Jacob, whom God called Israel. And there's been this constant conflict and desire to take the land away from who God gave it to. He began to share all of these things with me. And I happened to run into a group of young Palestinian boys one day while I was walking around and one of them pushed me and said, you stupid American, and started shouting at me things. And he said, don't mess with Palestine. And I found myself being pushed around just a month ago by these young guys and my heart began to break for him. And I told the tour guide, he said, you need to understand, they don't just hate Jews, they hate Christians, they hate Americans. He said, this doesn't mean we react with hatred, but we have to defend our nation. And I wanna make a statement today that I took some time to, to research and write because I wanted to say it correctly and I'm going to read that statement. But I want you to hear my heart today. Our church loves the world. We love God, we love people. But with that, we also have a calling according to scripture to understand where God stands on this. So I want you to hear my heart that in this prophetic time, Last Friday night, around midnight, news began to break that Israel was yet again under attack from Muslim extremists who are wholeheartedly committed to the annihilation of the Jewish state. On the day after the 50-year anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, Israel found itself again under siege as Islamic militants committed acts of terror meant at driving Israel from their ancestral homeland. Over last weekend, more than 5,000 rockets were indiscriminately fired into Jewish neighborhoods. More than 1,300 Israeli innocent civilians have been brutally killed. Their bodies were paraded through the streets. Hamas parachuted into music festivals where they raped the women and shot them in front of their husbands afterwards. Babies' heads were cut off by Hamas soldiers. The barbaric, brutal chaos that was unleashed on dozens of towns across the nation of Israel will go down as the deadliest war for Israel since 1973. We are living in the most intense moment Israel has seen in 50 years. But this is a different kind of war than the Yom Kippur War. Thousands of rockets rained on Israel from multiple directions. The Hamas gunmen invaded by land, sea, and sky. Masses of people murdered and kidnapped using ISIS-like methods, targeting young women and children, launching massive fire towards civilian population centers, as well as terrorist infiltration of cities and settlements close to the Gaza border. 
They literally went home to home, door to door, looking for the young and the elderly. They took hostages, old women, little children, young women. They targeted civilians in this attack, not soldiers. Some of the women they took as hostages were survivors of the Holocaust. To date, this number tragically will only get larger with 1,300 plus dead and thousands wounded. This attack triggered Prime Minister Netanyahu to say, we are now at war. And let me be clear, Israel has the absolute unmitigated right to defend her borders and her citizens by eliminating terrorist cells and those who fund them. Make no mistake, this church stands with Israel and unequivocally condemns the unprecedented acts of terror. This does not mean that the people living in those towns who are not Israeli are less valuable or less worthy of life. We love everyone. We pray for them too. We pray for the precious people caught in the conflict who are not part of Hamas. We pray for the precious lives that have been killed in these attacks. But let me take it a step further. The very reason why these campaigns of terror have been emboldened is in part due to the malicious incompetence of the current U.S. administration, who less than one month ago released $6 billion to the nation Iran who supports terror against Israel. And by the way, hates America too. What a bad move to give money to a nation that sponsors terrorism around the world. Now, I'm not saying every person in these nations hates Jewish people. There are precious, amazing, valuable lives in these nations who have nothing to do with the terrorist attacks. In our church, we have people from all over the world who love this house, people from Syria, from Lebanon, from Turkey, from Iran who have come here and have made Jesus their Lord and Savior. I'm not saying that every person is after the annihilation of Israel or wants to kill Christians but there are deeply demonic terrorist organizations in these nations who want to annihilate Israel and America next. We must understand that nations are made up of precious people, not governments. There are a great number of people in these nations who need our prayers. I've been on the phone with different people from countries all around Israel this past week asking me to pray for them asking me to pray for Israel and asking me to pray for believers, brothers and sisters all over there. We're going to do that. If all we did was listen to mainstream news, the news would convince you that Israel is the aggressor, that Israel won't agree to a treaty, that Israel refuses to lay down its weapons. If Hamas were to lay down their weapons, Israel would have peace. If Israel were to lay down her weapons, she would be annihilated by Hamas. Hear me, friends, the nations that surround Israel do not want peace. They do not want a two-state nation. They want the annihilation of the Jewish people, and you cannot negotiate with satanic ideologies. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, to your offspring I will give this land. In Genesis 15, God reiterated this unconditional promise. A lot of people believe a myth that this land belonged to a different group than the Jewish people first. It didn't. It first belonged to the people from Abraham's family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 
He said, from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river of the Euphrates, I will give this land to you. In Genesis 17, God repeated this promise to Abraham. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. As far as scripture is concerned, there's no such thing as a two-state solution. The nation of Israel belongs to Israel because when God makes a promise, he intends to keep it. I do not now, nor have I ever subscribed to replacement theology. The idea that somehow God replaced Israel with the current modern church in America and around the world. That somehow God no longer has a special plan for the Jewish people or a purpose for them. God is clear even in the New Testament that he loves the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. I believe what the scriptures teach that at the end of the age, as the end draws near, the nations of the earth will rise in opposition to Israel in an attempt to annihilate God's chosen people. And there will be a day where a final battle is waged in a place called the Valley of the Armageddon. I was there just a month ago. We stood in the valley. I was asking the guide, I said, what is it going to be like? There's miles and miles of this open stretch valley right there in Armageddon. He said, the nations will gather here to wage war against Israel and wage war against those who call on the name of the Lord. But what we read in the book of Revelation is that when all hope looks lost, Christ himself will descend from heaven with the sword the sound of a trumpet. He will defend his people and vanquish those who oppose his plan. And all of Israel will recognize that Jesus is in fact the Jewish Messiah. Ask yourself this question. Why are there widespread celebrations in nations like Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Afghanistan, even in our own nation in America in streets of Chicago, New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle universities? celebrating the terrorist attack on Jewish people, standing with Hamas, chanting, Israel deserves this, Israel deserves this. Why are these people absolutely committed to the idea of Israel being wiped off the map? Is it because the land of Israel is so valuable? Is it because the resources are so great? Why is this tiny sliver of a nation such a threat to the neighbors around the world. Let me tell you, because Jesus serves as a reminder that a covenant-keeping God has preserved his people and every lesser God is operating on borrowed time and borrowed land. As scripture instructs us to pray for peace in Jerusalem, we will do that in just a moment. But we are believing that God will continue to show himself strong to the nation of Israel and somehow, some way, Use what the enemy intended for evil for good. And in doing so, we will see a harvest of souls, a revival, that Muslims will turn to Jesus, that Jewish people will turn to Jesus, that there will be a harvest of those who put their faith in Jesus and lay down the violence. We are praying for peace. We are praying for God's peace. And I want to give you nine ways to pray. I know that's a lot of ways, but I believe there are people in this room today who may not agree with every single thing I just said, those that are watching online. And I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, it's not Paul's opinion. It's God's opinion. So I'm going to preach the word of God. If you want a church that has compromised the word of God, go somewhere else. But if you want to stand on the word of God, it's going to get uncomfortable at times. The more we read this from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it challenges a lot of the politically correct mainstream media myths that are out there. 
And we've got to come back to what does God's prophetic word say? So if you want to, you can stand with me. We're going to pray. And I want to look at these ways to pray as we pray right now. And then I'll continue preaching. You can sit back down. But as we look at these ways to pray, I believe there is a way for each of us in this room to find a specific reason to pray today. Pray for peace over Israel and for the preservation of life. I believe God wants to save as many lives as possible, Arabs and Jews. We want to pray for the preservation of life. Pray for Israel's defense force as they respond to the surprise attack. They've already begun this response. Pray for the protection of friends and families who have been called into the reserves, who are preparing for the ground attack, ground operation in Gaza. Pray for those who have been taken hostage, that they would be kept safe and rescued speedily. Pray that the barrage of rockets would stop and that the Lord would supernaturally protect Israel from missile attacks. Pray for those in the border communities around Gaza that are still in lockdown, hiding from terrorists in their communities. Let me pause. If you haven't seen this, Hamas is using their own Palestinian people as shields. They will not let them leave the Gaza Strip. Israel has tried to pull people out of Gaza in preparation to take out the terrorist cells. Israel's doing everything they can to try to help people get out before they come after Hamas. Hamas will not let their own people leave. They're actually using children as shields in front of them. We need to pray against this. It's demonic. We need to pray for those in those border communities. We need to pray that hatred and incitement would cease and that the power of God's love would minister to hearts and minds across Israel and Gaza. We need to pray that the body of believers would find opportunities to provide hope to those who are suffering. I'm going to give us a chance to do that before we end today. We have some practical needs we're going to help meet for those that have been affected already in this war. We want to minister to those that are hurting. And we need to pray that God would shine his light in the midst of a dark situation. Let's pray right now. Lord, we pray for your peace right now in Jerusalem. We pray for your peace in Israel. We pray right now, Lord. Let's leave those nine points up. I want to pray each through those points as they're keeping that up there. Lord, we pray for peace and we pray for the preservation of life for Jews and Arabs. We pray for Israel's defense force as they respond in this surprise attack. Give them wisdom. We pray for protection, God, for those who've been called into the reserves who are preparing for this ground operation in Gaza. Lord, we pray for those who have been taken hostage, that they would be kept safe and rescued speedily. We pray that this barrage of rockets would stop, that the Lord would supernaturally protect, God, innocent lives being taken in this war. We pray for those in the border communities around Gaza that are still in lockdown, hiding from terrorists in their communities. We pray in Jesus' name that you would rescue them. God, we pray that the hatred and incitement would cease, that the power of God's love would minister to hearts and minds, turning even terrorists to their knees and surrender to Jesus. If you did it in the Paul the Apostle's life when he was a terrorist as Saul, God, do it in their lives. Change their hearts, God, with your love. We pray that the body of believers would find opportunities to provide hope. Lord, show us how we can help those that are suffering right now. Lord, we pray that your light would shine in the darkness. God, we pray for revival in the Middle East. We pray, God, that you would use our church to bring help, hope, and healing to those that are hurting right now, that we would be able to shine a light, God, and minister to those that are in a dark situation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Can I keep going? Okay. I was going to keep going whether you wanted me to or not. Who is Hamas? 
I read that first passage in Esther because I believe it's important for us to understand Hamas may have started in the 80s, but it's been going for thousands of years. Hamas is a spirit. The word Hamas actually means violence. It is a Hebrew word that is translated as violence, violent chaos. We saw this word first in Genesis 6:11. Right before the flood happened in Noah's time, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of Hamas. When you read that in the Hebrew scripture, it actually says the earth was filled with Hamas everywhere. In other words, there was corrupt violence. There was deep hatred. There was intense murderous spirits. Jesus referenced that in the end times, in Matthew 24, verse 37, prophetically, Jesus spoke, when the Son of Man returns again, it will be like it was in Noah's days. In other words, there will be an increase of Hamas. There will be an increase of violence. People will be lovers of themselves. Their love will grow cold for others. There is a turning, and and really, Thessalonians says there will be a great deception, turning people's hearts and minds away from truth, and towards what their itching ears want to hear, or towards deceiving words, clever deceiving words, convincing people Israel is the problem. There will be a all-out hatred, nations raging against Israel. Psalm 716 also speaks of Hamas, saying the trouble they cause recoils on them, their Hamas comes down on their own heads. By the way, the end result of Hamas is back towards itself what it sows. Whatever we sow, we reap. Habakkuk 1 verse 3 says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate Hamas? That word wrongdoing there in Hebrew is translated Hamas. Why do you tolerate a spirit of destruction and violence and strife and constant hatred and conflict? God's heart is full of love, but God made a covenant with Israel first. We have to understand this. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, Paul warns Timothy. He says, mark this, friend. Mark this, young man. He says, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, we believe our best days are right in front of us, but we are not naive to understand that there will also be very difficult times in the last days. People will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money more than they are lovers of their own family boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, he says, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, barbaric, not lovers of God, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul warns us. He says, this, this spirit is stirring up. Why do I say this? Because Hamas is not just a spirit that exists in a terrorist organization around Israel. That spirit of Hamas is something that we have to even guard our own hearts against. We have to check, am I living with hatred towards a group of people? Am I living with a racist, prejudiced bigotry towards another group of people? Because if I am, I am now siding with the spirit of Hamas and God will not tolerate that spirit. This is a time for the church to search our own hearts and repent and say, Lord, work in me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, draw me back to your word. Remove from me a jealous, insecure, hateful spirit. Remove from me anything that wants the destruction of another sister, another brother. 
There are literally people in the streets of America celebrating what happened to babies in Israel. I was watching news pieces and articles and things people were posting on all the different social media platforms and I, it broke my heart. Ashley and I began to just pray and talk because we just sensed just a deep sense of responsibility as pastors here that we would understand what's going on in the world and that we would pay attention to it and really ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what is our response in this moment? How do we respond when there's such a confusion amongst millennials specifically right now over what's going on and an unwillingness to take a stand? And I thought about it. I thought, if I'm the only pastor I'm friends with right now in our city that will take a stand for Israel, then I will be that guy. But I also understand that with that comes its own consequences. And this is why I, I'm willing to take a stand because when I read my Bible and when I grow up in a home where I've been taught the scripture, it's hard for me to turn away from that and believe some trendy idea that was just birthed in the last 20 years. I would rather follow a book that was here before millennials got here than follow the ideas of a trendy podcast convincing me that they know what's best in the current conflict in the Middle East. We need to understand God's word speaks to what we're walking through. This word is alive. It's real. This is real. More real than any other current trendy podcast idea or social media TikTok platform you follow, this speaks truth. It's uncomfortable, but it speaks truth. Haman carried the spirit of Hamas. I think it's interesting that Haman in the book of Esther is just one letter off from Hamas. Haman, Haman, this man, Hitler, this man who hated the Jews. Full of hatred. I want to give you a definition of Haman. Who was this man in the book of Esther? The story of Esther is recorded not just in the Bible, but actually recorded in other contemporary uh, books that outline the history of the Middle East and the history of things that happened during that time. This story is real. Haman was a real man who existed with a hatred towards the Jewish people. He wanted to annihilate the Jewish people. Full of hatred. Full of hatred, insecure, jealous, easily threatened, a slander, manipulative with the king, convincing the king the Jews are the problem, tormented by his own demons, deviantly clever, convincing other people we should mass execute this certain ethnic group of people. It was an ethnic cleansing that he was proposing to the king, and he convinced the king it was the right thing, not knowing that the queen was a part of this ethnicity. The queen carried this DNA as a Jewish woman. And this is why Mordecai said, Esther, God will deliver his people. God will deliver the Jews. The question is, will you be a part of this deliverance? Will you stand for what God stands for? Or will you turn a blind eye and live in the palace and blend in with the people while you watch your Jewish ancestors get murdered left and right? He said, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Esther stood up for the Jewish people, and the end result of Haman was what he proposed to happen to the Jews actually happened to him. He ate his own plants, and that is the end result for this spirit of Hamas. 
We need to understand that this began a long time ago. This conflict, Ishmael was the other son of Abraham born from Hagar, not Sarah, his wife. Ishmael hated Isaac. The spirit of hatred between brothers has been around since Cain and Abel. But when you look at the hatred from Ishmael towards Isaac, he felt rejected. He felt like he deserved what Isaac got, this anger. And so we've got to understand that all of these things go back to Scripture. Israel has historically always been Jewish territory. The land was first established by Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, whom God called Israel. Then they became slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years until God sent Moses to come and deliver them. And Moses empowered Joshua to then take the land that was theirs, the promised land. That promised land in 1400 BC was established by Israel. Then King David came and established the capital city, Jerusalem. King Solomon built the first temple. The kings of Israel reigned until they were captured by the Persian Empire. Then the Romans took over that territory. And the Romans were the ones, thousand years later, after Israel had occupied it, who named that area Palestine as a mockery to the Jews. The Islamic religion wasn't even invented until the 7th century AD, 700 years after Jesus. And yet their belief was that this was their land. This was their Tory given to them. That's a lie. This land belonged to Israel in the beginning. The Bible tells us that in the end times, Israel would be scattered but would regather. This has already happened. And this was the sign that set the prophetic clock ticking. On the heels of the Holocaust, no one would have thought that the Jewish people who lost six million lives to Hitler, who also carried the same spirit of Haman and Hamas, a hatred towards the Jews, that after that Holocaust, a remnant of Jewish people would gather. And on May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation. And I'm proud to say the United States was the first nation to acknowledge that. Israel was willing to share parts of the land with other people groups. They were willing to share. However, there was an unwillingness on the other side to share that land. There was a hatred. There was an anti-Semitic mindset that Israel doesn't deserve to even have the slice that they do have. From that desire, there's been constant conflict, wars that have broken out. I mentioned the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago. What we're seeing today is just a continual desire to get rid of the Jewish people. Zechariah 12, verse 3 through 4, the prophet Zechariah, he said, I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against Israel and try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. This nation is a special nation. I want to give a couple of reminders about what God has to say about Israel. Israel is a special place. We know that from scripture. It's the apple of God's eye. Number two, Israel is a special people. He doesn't just care about the land. He cares about the people in the land. Those people have not been replaced by modern day church Christians around the world. God still cares about the Jewish people. Israel has a special purpose. God made a covenant with Abraham and his children, and that purpose was to bless those who bless him and to curse those who cursed him. By the way, if you want to be blessed, pray for Israel. 
You want to be cur- like, this is scripture. You don't like it. You need to take it up with God. Israel has a special protection. Jeremiah 31, God said to destroy Israel is like trying to destroy the sun, moon, and stars. Jehovah watches over Israel. You can't destroy what God's hand is on. And take that as a reminder when God's hand is on you. No matter what hell tries to do, whose God hand rests on, when God's hand rests on your life, come hell or high water, you're going to make it. When God's hand is on you, I believe God's called you as a special person. God has called this church as a special place. I believe God has a special purpose for every person in this room. We are here on purpose because we have a purpose. And I believe there's a special protection over this house and over you. Genesis 12, 3 says, when you bless what God has blessed, God blesses you. Israel is a special nation. Israel is a special people with the special protection. Israel will never give up the city Jerusalem. Israel will be invaded by enemies, but we read the book of Revelation, which declares Jesus will win in the end and bring revival and victory to Israel. He will rule and reign from the Mount of Olives. He will create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And you either follow the lamb or you follow the beast. But if you follow the lamb, You will overcome the beast by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. So what is the church's response during this time in history? Number one, we have a response and a calling, a mandate from God to pray, to pray for Israel, to pray for peace. I gave you nine ways to pray. We can throw that up again. If you didn't take a screenshot, take it. These are great reminders when you're when you're wondering, what should I pray for right now over there? How should I pray? Pray for the preservation of life. God cares about life. God cares to see people preserved in this. Pray for peace. Pray for God's love to intervene and change hearts that are set on violence and terrorism. Pray for the the, the terrorist uh, cells to be stopped in Jesus' name. Pray that God would shine his light in this time. Number two, the church has a calling not just to pray, but to stay in peace. As believers, we are not called to engage in divisive behavior. We need to stay in peace. As believers, we are not called to live as constant warriors and anxiety, panic people, constantly afraid, running around like chickens with our heads cut off. We are called to stay in peace. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. That's a promise from a prophet. Speaking on behalf of the word of God, that we can have perfect peace when our minds are stayed on him. Paul the apostle said in Philippians 4 verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. You go, Paul, that's easy to say. That's easy to write. But that's hard as a mom. That's hard as a dad. That's hard as a college student. That's hard when I'm surrounded by so many non-peaceful people and strifeful people and people who hate me or hate church or hate Christians or hate whatever it is. How do I stay in peace when there's wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and hurricanes? How do I stay in peace when there's storms? I remember seeing this story, a true story of this young boy who painted a picture and submitted it in an art competition for his art teacher. She had created this competition to see who could paint the best picture of peace. And all these people sent in pictures of like a sweet little river, a stream, a creek, some nice, you know, peaceful places. But this boy sent in a picture of a storm. And I want you to see it. There's lightning everywhere. There's waves crashing into these cliffs. It's, I mean, it's chaos. It does not look peaceful. But the boy won the art competition. 
And here's why. All the kids were wondering, how is this a picture of peace? The boy told his class, you have to look closer. Peace is found not in the absence of a storm, but in the shelter and the safety and the refuge in the middle of life's problems. When you look closer in the picture, there's this mother bird sitting in the cleft of a cliff, hovering over her baby birds in the nest, covered in the storm by a shelter, a refuge. The storm is still present, but peace is found in that spot of shelter and refuge. Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is not the absence of wars. Peace is not the absence of grief and loss and death and divorce and abuse. Peace is found in the shelter of the Almighty God. Peace is found in the refuge, the strong tower, the fortress. Peace is not when everything goes my way. Peace is even when things don't go the way I wanted. I can run to his presence. I can hide in his shelter. I can hide under the wings of my Father in heaven who's watching over me. Even if I lost my Father on earth, I can find peace. Peace is not found in a drug or a drink or a pill or an addiction or a porn site. Peace is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. You want to find peace? Stop searching for it everywhere out there. It's found in Jesus. And I've found that peace. I've found that peace on my worst days. I have found that peace when I am having a panic attack. I have found that peace when I am filled with anxiety. That peace is found not in the, in the absence of problems or in the absence of circumstances. That peace is found even when you're in the hospital praying for your baby to make it. That peace is found when you're lying in the, the living room floor after hearing the worst news in your family. That peace is found even when you feel like there's wars everywhere and you're trying to figure out whose side are you on and certain family members are arguing about this and arguing about that. How do you find peace? You run to the presence of God. That bird stayed in the shelter under the ref. I, I just feel like God wants to bring peace to some people right now. God wants to remind you, you have a shelter to run to. You have a refuge to run to. Don't lose your peace. Don't join the chaos right now. Don't run in the streets. Don't let the spirit of Hamas pull you in to this hatred and divisiveness and anger and retaliation. I want revenge. Let, let the Holy Spirit guide us in peace right now. Number three, stay in love. As believers, we have a calling to stay in love. To stay in love. To, to choose that we are going to walk in love, that we are not going to get out of our love walk with others. Even when others are rude or mean, we're going to stay in love. We're going to walk in pain. We're going to walk in kindness and compassion. We're going to choose to love those that we don't understand, those we don't agree with. Whoever it is that you need to walk in love with it today, you'd say, Lord, help me to walk in love with these family members, these friends, these people, these co-workers. It's, it's harsh. It's rough. It's rude. I'm not saying that you should just endure abuse and, and lay down as a rug mat, but I am saying that when you find yourself in uncomfortable situations, walk in love. Choose to stay in love. Number four, final point here, stay in victory. Now, I mean that physically and spiritually. I want you to stay in victory. I'll be honest. As your pastor, I like you. I want you to stick around as long as you can tolerate me. Just keep coming to victory. 
but I also mean as believers, we have a calling to stay in victory. The message of Jesus is not a message of defeat, depression, doom, and gloom. It is a message of victory. The gospel is victory. Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death, hell, Hamas. He defeated demonic activity. He defeated the grave. He defeated sin. He defeated addiction. We don't serve a God of defeat. We serve a God of victory. Stand to your feet all over this place. God has given you victory. Don't lose hope. Don't accept a doom and gloom perspective. Oh, the church is going down. Oh, Christians are never going to make a cut. No, God's done with the world. No, no, no. God's not finished yet. He has the final say. And in Revelation chapter 21, we understand that Jesus wins the victory, that Jesus has the final say. The devil is defeated. The devil is a liar. Fear is a liar running out of breath. We have to remind ourselves, I have the victory in Christ. I have the victory in Christ. Paul the apostle had to tell himself over and over, in Jesus Christ, I triumph. Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I want us just to take a moment right now. Before we go into this altar, I want to give you a chance to have a practical part of helping the people that are hurting right now in Israel. We are uh, not going to do another offering right now. We're not going to pass any buckets around, but I do want you to be aware that you can be a part of giving towards a ministry in Israel that is helping people affected on all sides of this, ministering to people that have been, uh, that have lost their homes because of missiles in their neighborhoods, uh, people that are hurting out on the streets. And so we're going we're gonna to sow some financial seed into this. And I want to just put it up on the screen. If you want to be a part of it, you could text or you could take an envelope on your way out. You can find a place to give it. But as we look at the screen, here's, here's a couple of, if you have those options, not options, but what we're, what we're giving towards, throw it up there, guys, on the screen. So we're, we're going to be helping provide 550 fleece jackets. These jackets are going to go towards people who are outside in the cold, don't have jackets. We've been talking with our tour guide there who lives in Israel. He lives in a kibbutz that is taking in many of the refugees currently who've lost their homes in the last eight days, uh, have lost family members and close friends. And he's let us know of the needs there. We're partnering with another church near Tel Aviv that's also ministering to people that are hurting from the Gaza Strip in that area. We're helping out with 550 backpack canteens, uh, 550 combat sets of undershirts, undershorts, and socks, $10,000 towards the Lion of Judah Fund for various supplies. The need is massive with 300,000 reservists being activated right now. We have an opportunity to minister to people. We did this during the war uh, last year happening uh, in Russia and Ukraine that we ministered to people that were hurting. We've continued to help missionaries all over the world in different parts of the world. When there's crisis, you can expect victory to be a part of ministering to people that are hurting. When there's disaster, you can expect victory to show up and help people that are hurting. That's who we are. It's in our blood. We bleed with compassion. We bleed with a sense of responsibility. How can we help our brothers and sisters that are in So if you want to, you can be a part of that. But right now, I want to pray. I feel to end this service with worship and an altar call, inviting people who have a a burden on your heart to pray, inviting people today who need to tap into the peace that passes all understanding. I want to invite those here today that you came into church and it's like the enemy has been messing with you all week. 
It's almost like that, that spirit of Hamas, like the enemy has just been attacking you in your thoughts, in your mind, your heart. Maybe you have felt discouraged. Maybe you felt afraid, confused. Maybe you found yourself lacking love or peace in situations. Maybe you have felt hopeless in some places in your life right now. And you need to step back into that posture of peace, that spirit of victory, that spirit of love, that sound mind that the Lord promises. I want to invite anyone to leave your seat, to come down to the altar. Maybe you feel a burden to pray for the people of Israel. Maybe you feel a burden to pray for people affected right now in the Gaza Strip, those that are hurting right now. If you want to leave your seat, come and join me at this altar. If you're here today and you need to get right with God, you need to repent of sin. Maybe you're here and you say, Paul, I want to, I want to repent. I want to get right with God. I want to surrender. I want my name written in the book of life. I want to know that I know where I'm going to spend eternity. If tomorrow was my last day on earth, I want to know that I would spend eternity in heaven. Join us at the altar. Whatever it is, bring it to the altar. If you need prayer today, come and join us at this altar. And let's just begin to worship and pray. Faith, lead us into that. I'm calling on the God of Jacob. Whose love endures through generations. In Jesus' name. I know Lord, that I speak you peace. will keep your comfort. Lord, I speak comfort. God, I speak healing. I'm calling Restoration. God Reconciliation. Mercy in Jesus' name. The one who opened up the ocean. God is with you. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. God is calling you into a place of deeper intimacy, deeper prayer. Church, let's sing it out.
your family, your children, and their children, and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. was speaking about the end of times and he said in John 16 I have told you these things not to scare you but to remind you that you can have peace in me in this world you will have trouble but take heart my friends I have overcome the world greater is he that lives in you than he that is in this world Jesus has promised us peace. He's promised to be with us. David said, be still and know that he is God. He is with you this week. He's with you. He's in the situation you're praying about. Even when you don't see it, he's working. We may not understand what's going on right now, but we do know God is not surprised. We do know that God is not caught off guard. We do know that God is aware of broken hearts and broken situations, and he is close to those that are hurting. And God is a defender. God is a good father. God is engaged and involved in our lives. So this afternoon, Lord, we bring every burden, every worry, every care to you. 
Lord, we surrender questions to you. We surrender concerns to you. We surrender even just the, the need to try to control things that we can't even control. God, we just say, Lord, have your way. We're yours. You're more important than anything else we could be doing right now. God, your presence is more powerful, more important than anything else that would try to vie for our attention right now. Lord, I pray, God, for every person here, every situation. Lord, you love everybody here. Red and yellow, black and white, we are all precious in your sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves you. He loves me. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would change our hearts with your love. Lord, that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, that we would cry out, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray, God, that we would carry your peace into our workplace this week, that we would carry your peace into our campuses, our schools, our hallways, our neighborhoods, universities, Lord, that wherever we go, God, that we would be carriers of your love, your peace, God, your hope your spirit of victory and faith, even in a world filled with fear and chaos. God, I pray, Lord, that we would not be moved by what we see in the news, that we would not be moved by opinions floating around out there, but, Lord, that we would only be moved by your word. God, that our hearts and our minds would be stayed on you, fixed on you, on your word. God, on what you've spoken, that we would stand firm in the faith, God, that we would stand steadfast, God, in your word, that we would not waver. God, that we would look to you, not to the left or to the right, but only to you in Jesus' name. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I fix my eyes, my heart, my mind on you. You are my God. You are my redeemer. You died on the cross. You rose from the grave. You are my Lord and Savior, Jesus. I repent of sin. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Help me, Lord. Teach me how to pray, what to pray, what to say. Teach me to walk in peace to walk in love, to walk in victory. I'm all yours, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.